Happy Lord's Day to you today. I'm happy to see you. I love you. I'm going to be preaching the Bible for about the next hour. Now, what is the Bible? Well, the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, There is a God. This God has chosen to communicate with us. The way that He has chosen to communicate with us is in written form. And so we have God's Word. Uh, The Bible is a book, but it's broken down into 66 separate books. There are 39 of them in the Old Testament. There are 27 of them in the New Testament. We, for the past two years, have been studying one of these New Testament books, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and that is the book of Hebrews. Today, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read one verse, and then I'm going to explain it, and then I will give you six points of application. That one verse is Hebrews 13, 17. And so if you would please turn to that verse, Stand, allow me to read it, I will pray, then we will do our best to explain that verse. Listen to the word of God. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I pray, dear Father in heaven, that you would cause us to have soft hearts of submission and obedience. Lord, left to ourselves, we are rebels. Left to ourselves, we have followed the pattern of our first parents and been disobedient. Lord, we don't want to be that way. We we want to be people who are submissive and obedient. And so by your Spirit, would you teach us what that means Then, Lord, would you give us grace to do that, especially here, Lord, in your church, the church of the living God. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The point of the Bible is Jesus. The point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than anything in Judaism. And the point of the 13th chapter of Hebrews is that we are to be doers of the word. Let me give you the background here. This letter was written about the year A.D. 66 to a group of discouraged Christians who were living in Rome. Uh, They were Jewish in their background, and they wanted to go back into Judaism. They were contemplating leaving Jesus and the church, and this author spends 13 chapters telling them not to do that through theological arguments, and then he gives them practical application. Well, we are in the practical application section of the verse today, specifically talking about pastors or leaders. This author has previously in the chapter talked about their spiritual leaders back in chapter 13, verse 7, and he said that their leaders in the past were faithful. They were men who are now dead, but when they led this church, They were good, and so they are to be remembered, they are to be considered, they are to be imitated. And from the text today, we know that the current set of pastors that they had were also good. The reason we know that is because the author would not have commanded them to obey these men if these men had been wicked or self-serving. We're not told exactly what they are being asked to obey, but whatever it is, I'm sure it was in line with God's will and God's word which leads me to two extremely important disclaimers that I want to give you before we get into the text today. Disclaimer number one, obeying your spiritual leaders is not a blind leap of faith. Obeying your spiritual leaders is not a a blind leap of faith. 
countless lives have been destroyed in the name of this verse because people will not think for themselves and they will just do everything that their pastors tell them to do. Many years ago, I was speaking to a woman who was preaching and I told her, based upon the word of God, that women ought not to be preaching and I showed her in the Bible where it says that and her response to me was, I will pray about it, let me get back to you. She prayed about it, and she came back to me, and she said, I'm going to continue to preach. And I said, like, where are you getting that in the text? Her answer was, she said, I spoke to my pastor, and my pastor said it's perfectly all right for me to do so. That was her rationale. That is a misuse of spiritual authority. There are also extreme misuses of this verse, For example, in 1978, on November 18th, Jim Jones, leading the cult of the People's Temple, convinced 918 people to commit suicide by drinking the Kool-Aid that was laced with cyanide in Guyana. All of them died. You see, Hebrews 13.17 is a very convenient verse for cult leaders to use in order to convince their followers that they have to obey everything that they say. It's a very dangerous verse if you use it as a blank check. The misuse of this verse, however, is not only confined to cult leaders. It can be abused even in reasonably good churches when the pastor says, you have to obey everything that I say. Some pastors will use this verse in order to direct people's personal lives with respect to where they should work or whether they should move to a different town or who they should marry. Your pastor certainly can give wise counsel on these matters, and usually you would be well served to listen to their advice. But please understand, pastors do not have absolute authority to tell you how to live your life. The only absolute authority that there is, is the Word of God. And based upon the Word of God, if we are directing you from the Word of God, then we have authority. The authority is in the Bible and not in the person. So, for example, if you are stealing from your boss and one of your pastors speaks to you and tells you that you have to give the money back and that you have to stop, well, that pastor has absolute authority to do so. Why? Because the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. If, however, it is a more gray area and you, for example, would want to start a multi-level marketing business like Amway, well, your pastor can say something like, I think that would be unwise. I wouldn't do that if I were you. But an elder or a pastor doesn't have absolute authority to tell you that you are forbidden to do something like that. Now, as a side note, I would advise you not to get into multi-level marketing and not to sell Amway. And as a side note of a side note, if you are going to, do not sell it at our church. But if you want to do it, I can't tell you that you can't do it. You see, the point here, and I hope you see the difference, is that pastors and elders do not have absolute authority over the lives of people unless we have a clear command from Scripture. Therefore, you never take a blind leap of faith and say, well, he's my pastor, and therefore I have to obey him. No, what you have to do is obey what God says in the Bible. So this verse is not a license for elders to unequivocally dictate how you live their lives. Here's the second disclaimer, and this one is quite sensitive, 
and that is this verse can appear to be somewhat self-serving. I assure you it is not, but it can appear to be, and here's why I say that. I am your pastor, and I am standing in front of you, and I am talking, and this verse says that you are supposed to obey me and submit to me. Well, since I'm the one preaching, it seems a little convenient. In fact, it seems very convenient. Well, it's not a verse that I am pulling out of nowhere so that I can gain authority over you. This week I was at a pastor's conference and one of my friends asked, what are you preaching this week? And I told him Hebrews 13, 17, and he said, are you going to feel a little bit awkward instructing your people to obey you? I said, not at all, because I have the authority of God's word behind me in order to preach that word. But now that I am actually standing in front of you, it is a little bit harder than I thought that it was going to be because I don't want to come across as self-serving. However, if I were to skip over this verse or if I were to skim over this verse, that would be worse because God, for some reason, has put this verse in the Bible and he did it for your benefit and for the benefit of the church. So even though it may seem self-serving for me to tell you that the Bible tells you that you have to obey me and the other elders, it is not self-serving. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. And what is the word of God? Verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's take a few minutes here now and define the terms in this verse, and we start with the word leaders. Leaders here refer to spiritual leaders. This verse is not talking about the police or school teachers or coaches or elected officials. The reason we know that is because the leaders referred to in Hebrews 13, 17, watch over your souls. Coaches do not do that. Next, I want you to notice that the word leaders is plural. It is plural, more than one. You see, in the local church, there is always to be a plurality of elders. Let me give you scriptural justification for this. Anytime you see leaders or pastors mentioned in the Bible, it is multiple. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul tells Titus to appoint elders, plural, in every town. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas, here's what they did, and when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Not an elder, but elders in every church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul called for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come to him. In James chapter 5, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, plural, of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And as a side note, if you are sick and you wish for the elders to pray for you and to anoint you with oil, we are happy to do that. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders, plural, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You want to talk about awkward, not only are you to obey me, but according to this verse, you're supposed to pay me. So there you have it. Might as well get it all out there. Now, the reason I stress this is because the notion of a one-guy pastor is not scriptural. Now, here's where I'm going to need you to put on your thinking cap for just a moment 
Let me explain what the word pastor actually means in the New Testament. There are three Greek words in the New Testament which refer to this one office. Those words are presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen. Presbyteros normally is translated elder. In Titus chapter 1, Paul tells Titus, here are the qualifications for elders. That same list appears in a letter that Paul writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives that same list, but in that verse, Paul says that they are bishops or overseers. When you get to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, the Bible says that God has given the church pastors, poimen, or shepherds. And when you get to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, which, by the way, is my second favorite verse in all the Bible, which we're going to look at a little bit later, uh, all three versions of this are used. He is talking to the elders at Ephesus, uh, presbyteros. He is telling them that they are to shepherd, poimen, the sheep, and that they are to be overseers, episkopos, or bishops. So, What you have here, even if you didn't follow all of those Greek words, what you have, they are all the same office. And here's the practical application for you right now. At North Shore Baptist Church, Brian Kill is a pastor, a shepherd, an elder, a bishop, and an overseer. And in the same exact way, Keith Allen is a pastor, a shepherd, an elder, a bishop, and an overseer. And Mike Chang is a pastor and a shepherd, an elder, a bishop, and an overseer. And I, Ed Moore, I am a pastor, a shepherd, an elder, a bishop, and an overseer. We serve different functions, but we do not outrank one another. There is only authority in the Word of God. And and this is scriptural, but it's not only scriptural, but it's wise and it is helpful. Because just as in life it is not good for a man to be alone, so too in ministry it is not good for a man to be alone. So what we do as bishops, elders, pastors, and um, overseers is we support and help and advise and encourage and rebuke and instruct one another. It is not safe for the church to have a solo pastor. Turn, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Notice what it says about the value of having more than one person helping. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So you see that the pattern for leadership in the New Testament is that there will be a plurality. And I am very, very thankful for my fellow elders. A church that has multiple men who are qualified and willing to serve should always have multiple men who are serving. Now here is a problem, not a problem at North Shore Baptist Church, at least not yet, but there is a problem that could arise with this model. And here's the problem. There are churches which are theologically convinced that there should be multiple elders, because the Bible says that there should be multiple elders. And yet, 
even though they are in love with this idea of elders, there may not necessarily be multiple men in the congregation who are qualified to be elders. And so what they will do, because they are in love with the idea of multiple elders, they will appoint men to be elders who are not qualified to serve. And that is even worse. A church with unqualified elders will suffer greatly. And so if you only have one man in the church who is qualified, you should live with that one man doing that job until you can get more. But the point is, obey your leaders, plural. Next, I want you to notice as we are defining our terms in the verse here, is that in the New Testament church, leadership is always masculine. It is always done by men. Elders are required to be the husband of one wife. That is in Titus chapter 1 verse 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2. It is impossible for a woman to be the husband of one wife. The rationale as to why uh, God has appointed only men to be elders is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. You would be well served to note this verse, to remember this verse, and uh, to use this verse if it would ever come up, the subject would ever come up, as to why women cannot be elders or pastors. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 say this. <clears throat> Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That is the rationale. Now, it is often argued, and you'll hear it all the time, well, Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago, and back in those days, women did not have educational opportunities, and since they did not have educational opportunities, they could not be uh, schooled in how to be a pastor or how to be an elder, and so that's why he wrote it. It was completely cultural, and things are different today because women today do have opportunities to go to school and learn. Things are different. Well, that is flawed reasoning, and the reason why that is flawed reasoning is because the rationale that Paul gives as to why women cannot be elders or teachers or have authority in the church is twofold. First of all, it is the order of creation, which has nothing to do with culture at all. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And secondly, it is because the order of the fall. The woman was deceived and fell into transgression. So let me be clear as to what we are saying here. Men and women are equal in the sight of God. Men and women uh, are equal in with respect to their salvation and their standing before the Lord. Happy Mother's Day. Men are not superior to women. However, in God's grand design, men and women do have different functions in the church and in the family. You, I didn't think there was ever going to be a day when I would have to say this. I mean, it's even bizarre that I am taking the time to say this, but you do know that men and women are different, don't you? They are different. Even if you don't agree with my point, which is considered a, 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 a complementarian view of, 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 of women in ministry, even if you disagree with that, you do agree that men and women are not the same, that there is a difference. Men and women do have different functions in the church and in the family. 
And God, with great clarity in his word, has assigned men to lead in the church. So leadership in the church is to be plural, it is to be masculine, and here's the tough part, it is to be done within the context of the local church. So last weekend I did a retreat for the men of the Galena Bible Church in Galena, Illinois, I've come to know those men and love those men. It was my honor to give them the word of God. But please understand, I have absolutely none, zero, no spiritual authority over the members of that church. They are under no obligation before God to obey me or to submit to me. Just as in marriage, my wife Anna is not commanded in Scripture to be submissive to all men, and to obey all men, but Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And when it comes to the church, I am an elder over the members of this church. First Peter 5.2, Peter tells the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so it is not my job, nor is it my responsibility, and I have no authority whatsoever to shepherd sheep from another church. Likewise, if you are a member of North Shore Baptist Church, you are not obligated to, nor should you be getting your spiritual direction from pastors of other churches. Now, I am not opposed to biblical counselors helping the elders of a church. I'm not opposed to people listening to preaching on the radio or the internet. But we need to be careful that we do not view these biblical counselors or these preachers on the radio or the internet as our pastors. They are not our pastors. Every Sunday morning, I listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones and John MacArthur while I am getting ready for church. I think that both of them are excellent. I learn from them, but neither of them have spiritual authority over me, which brings up an important subject, and that is church membership. If you are not a member of a local church, then nobody has spiritual authority over you. If you are not a member of this church, we, the elders of this church, have no spiritual authority over you at all. If you are not an active member of any church, you have no spiritual authority whatsoever. Uh, We're glad that you're here. We love you. We are really happy to see you, but we are not your pastors because you are not members of our church. Uh, Just like if you are living with your girlfriend, you can't call her your wife because you aren't married. In the same way, if you are not a member of a church, you can't call the elders of that church your pastors. You are not in a covenant relationship with that congregation. So there's good news and bad news. Here's the good news. You're not a member of a church. You are 100% a free agent, and you can live however you please. You don't have to obey us. You do not have to submit to us. You do not have to serve in this church. You have no obligation whatsoever. If you fall into deep, unrepentant, habitual sin, we cannot say one single word of rebuke to you. You are an absolute free agent. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. You are a free agent and you are living a life which is completely foreign to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there were no Christians who were detached from the local church. You have no spiritual authority, and you are living in a very dangerous spot. You see, the reason I stress this point is because 
we have to define in the text who it is that should obey us and submit to us. And if you are not a covenanted member of this local church, you don't have any spiritual leaders who you are commanded to obey. And if you are a member of another church, then you should be attending that church and you should be in submission to those people. If you are not a member of a church, nobody on the final day is giving an account for you. You have absolutely no accountability whatsoever, and that ought to scare you. So before we apply this verse, let's be clear. You need to be a member of a local church in order for this church to apply to you. Otherwise, it has no meaning at all. If you are not a member of a church but would like to become a member of this church, we welcome you. Please speak to me after the service, and I will tell you how you can go about the process of becoming a member of this church. But if you don't feel as though North Shore Baptist Church is for you, and please know that there are dozens of really good churches in our area, and if you would feel more comfortable somewhere else or you feel that the Lord would be leading you somewhere else, then go to that church and become a member, enter into a covenant relationship with them. But whatever you do, don't remain a free agent. Join a gospel-preaching church and put yourself in a position where you are under spiritual authority. So to recap, what do we have so far? We're defining our terms. Leaders are pastors or or elders who are male, and they function as a team or a plurality. And those who are to obey the pastors and elders and to submit are their church members. Now, let's look at what the verse says that you are supposed to do with this information. The verse says that you are called to obey and to submit. Now, as I said earlier, obviously, this is in reference to your spiritual life or that which would impact your spiritual life. We do not tell you what color your car should be or what team you should root for or how you should style your hair. Obedience, as I stated earlier, is derived from Scripture and Scripture alone. And we, in and of ourselves, have no right whatsoever to tell you what to do in your day-to-day life apart from that which can be supported with Scripture. But if the Scripture is clear and your elders bring it to your attention, in such cases, for you to disobey us is for you to disobey God. Remember what we heard earlier in our Scripture reading from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. It is really clear that you are called upon by God to respect us and to obey us. This is where the elders of the church need to be very thoughtful and be very careful. Because when a situation arises which has no direct chapter and verse, like someone comes to us and they say, okay, what should we do here? And we can't find a direct verse in the Bible that says this is absolutely what you should do. What we have to do at that point is we have to pray and we have to remember history and we have to use principles and we have to use wisdom and we have to look to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And in such cases, the elders will render a verdict and we will say, We think at this time, based upon the information that you've given us, that it is best that you would do this or that. However, as you are listening to our advice, if we don't have a Bible verse, 
And we can't support 100% with Scripture what we are advising you to do. You should take into consideration what we have to say, but you are by no means bound to obey us. In other words, our authority is not bound up in the fact that we have the title of pastor or elder. Our authority is in the Bible alone. And so as we set the direction for the church, if our direction is biblical, then you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to obey us. However, if we contradict the word of God or if we neglect the word of God, and let me tell you why I'm saying this, two reasons. Number one, I am going to die someday. I am going to be gone. The elders that you currently have are not going to be here forever. Some of you are very young and you're going to be here for a very long time. You need to remember this. If whoever replaces me and if whoever replaces the elders of this church would start to neglect the word of God and to neglect the gospel, and if they would start to boss you around and be cruel to you and tell you that you have to obey them, but they're not using the Bible to do that, and if in some way the word of God is not predominant from this pulpit, if Jesus Christ in his gospel is not predominant from this pulpit, then you need to not walk, but you need to run as fast as you can out of this church to another church. Or if you stay, you need to stay and fight and you need to fight hard to get that person out of this pulpit so as to protect this church. You do not have to listen to me because I am me. You have to listen to me because what I say is coming from the Bible. We would be abusing our authority if we just started saying, well, I'm the pastor and you have to obey me. And notice, not only are you called to obey, but the text says you are called to submit. Literally in Greek, this means to give way or to yield the right of way. This means that there are going to be times when you disagree and times that you see things differently than we do. And the text is saying... Somebody has to lead, and at this time, God has not appointed you to be the person to lead, and therefore we have to go in some direction, and even if that direction is not the direction that you think we should be going in, humbly yield to the way that the elders give direction. Now, this doesn't mean that if we're wrong, scripturally, you shouldn't point it out to us. You should. Anytime when I preach from the pulpit and I say something that is wrong and you can point that out to me, please love me enough to come to me with an open Bible and say, Pastor, I love you. I appreciate you. That was a good sermon today and it helped me a lot. However, what you said about this was wrong and let me show you why it was wrong. Come to us and point out to us when we are wrong. You must do that. Also, it doesn't mean that you can't respectfully give your opinion. We are congregationalists. This is a congregationalist form of government here. We are elder-led, but we are congregationalist. And we believe that you have every right to challenge and to disagree and to vote your conscience. I am thankful that people have disagreed with what we have had to say in the past. Back in 1995, we almost pulled this tremendous bonehead error in this church. Uh, that was the day when uh, uh, churches would get instructions as to how they could improve so as to attract people, and we hired a guy to come in to give us instruction. He came in, he looked at the room, and he said, what you need to do is you need to get rid of these pews 
because they're old and they're old-fashioned, what you need to do is you need to get chairs because that's the trend for the future. And so the elders listened, the deacons listened. We were thinking, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of these old, ugly pews, and we're going to buy chairs. And there was one guy in the congregation, Jim Wetterow, who raised his hand very respectfully. He wasn't, he wasn't being pugnacious at all. And he said, I think it's a good idea that in this church we keep these pews. And a discussion was held among the congregants, and we voted to keep them I am so glad we did. I am so glad that this room does not look like a meeting room in a hotel. I am so glad that it still looks like a church. And you say, well, you don't have a scriptural reason for pews. No, I don't, but it looks like a church. And I'm glad that we still have the pews. There was another time back in the year 2002 when the church was deciding what to do with our home. Uh, we, when we first moved into the house, it was just me and Anna and baby Parker. And over the course of the next decade, we had another three children. And so the house was fairly small at the time. So the church decided they were going to sell our home and that they were going to buy another home that was larger. And our home at 3610 Clearview Expressway sold almost overnight. We found another house over in Fresh Meadows that we were going to move into, that we were going to buy, which was slightly bigger And I can remember the business meeting where Howard Mall raised his hand and said, why are we buying a house that's only a little bit bigger than the one that we have? It's a pretty good question. Thank God we didn't sell the house that we have. Thank goodness that we knocked the roof off and put some bedrooms upstairs. I'm still glad to be living there. But but that in part came about because one guy in a business meeting raised his hand and disagreed. You have the right to raise your hand in a business meeting and disagree or to come to us privately and to disagree. But if it is just a matter of preference or your opinion... In other words, when your way of doing things has not been chosen and the vote doesn't go your way, this verse says that you are to submit. Don't pout, don't gossip, don't fight, but submit to your elders. You are called by God to obey and to submit to the authority of the elders. Why? Because we like bossing you around? No, we don't like bossing you around, and we don't boss you around. The reason why you should be listening to us and obeying us is spelled out at the end of verse 17. Again, let me read the verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Why should you be listening to us and submitting to us? Number one, because as under shepherds, we are keeping watch over your souls. And number two, because one day we're going to have to give an account of God to God for you. The first one says that elders care for your souls. That is, we care about your spiritual condition. And I want to let you know that we do. Your joy is really important to us. And the reason why your joy is important to us is because of what Jesus has called us to do, what Jesus has modeled, and what Jesus has put into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is because of the good shepherd that we as under shepherds care about you. Jesus loved us. Jesus died for us. Jesus has called us into the ministry. And now Jesus tells us to feed his lambs, to tend his sheep, to feed his sheep. And so our goal is not to boss you around or to whip you into submission. 
but it's to understand that the Holy Spirit has made us overseers. And what motivates us is that Jesus purchased this church with his own blood. I alluded earlier to Acts chapter 20. I would ask, please, that you would turn to Acts chapter 20 and note this verse. Don't mark up the Pew Bible, but if it's your own Bible, I would encourage you to circle this verse and to pay attention to it because it sums up church life. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's saying goodbye to them. What he says to them is pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that is, bishops, uh, to care for the church of God. Here's why it is important, which he purchased with his own blood. When it comes to anything in life, the gospel is of first importance. When it comes to the church, the gospel is of first importance. Do you understand what we're dealing with here? We watch over your souls because what we are dealing with here is life and death. And what makes it important is the work of Jesus Christ. God created people. People have been bad. You are bad. You have sinned against God. But God loves you. And he sent Jesus to live for you and to die for you. And he bought the church with his own blood so that when you die, you can go to heaven forever and not to hell. That's what makes this important. And so if it wasn't for the gospel, elders would be nothing more than party planners and board members. But with the gospel, this is everything. It's not a social club. This is life and death. We're watching over your souls. And and this thing that we call the church is the most important thing in life. It's the most important thing on earth. And so we have been entrusted to oversee your souls. That is why I study And that is why I stand up here for a long time and bury my nose in this Bible and give you the word of God. And that's why we think it is important that you receive the word of God and that you be in church to hear the word of God. And that's why we have classes for children so that they will learn the word of God. And it's why we have a young adult group that Keith leads so that they will get the word of God. It's why we have a senior adult Bible study so that you will receive the word of God. It's why we have a youth group so that they will receive the word of God. It's why we have other Bible studies is so that you will receive the word of God. It's important and we pray for you, and we counsel you, and we do the best that we can to hold you accountable. And when you step out of line, we rebuke you because we are watching over your souls, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. We don't get joy over rebuking you. We do it because we are overseeing your souls, and we try to protect you. And one of the ways that we try to protect you is you not might not be looking for it, but we, the elders, are always looking out among you to see if there are any wolves who have come. Because wolves don't come with a sign saying, I am a wolf. They come in appearing to be sheep. They're here sent from the devil, not knowing that they are sent from the devil, for they, according to Scripture, are both deceived and deceiving. But they come in amongst the flock, and they are here for the purpose of destroying you. So we are looking among you for wolves. And when we detect that one might be a wolf, we speak to the wolf, 
And if the wolf does not repent, then we extract the wolf and we ask them to leave the church. Why? Because we're watching over your souls. We are trying to protect you. We find no joy whatsoever in finding someone who might be in our midst who is a false teacher and then approaching that person. We get ulcers thinking about having to go and make that confrontation. But we do it, and the reason why we do it is because we are commissioned to oversee your souls. We are here to protect you. Are we perfect? Oh man, if you have been a member of this church for more than five minutes, you know that we are not perfect. We commit sins, we make errors, there are oversights, and sometimes there is just this general knuckleheadedness about what the elders do. We are men who need help and men who need a savior just like everyone else. We don't always approach things the right way. And sometimes things happen which we don't detect quickly enough. We are fallible human beings. But here's your bottom line. We love you. Look at me. We love you. We love you. And when we think about you, we carry the burden of your souls. Genuinely. And for that reason, the author of Hebrews says, your job is to obey and to submit. But there's another reason given here. And this reason is that one day we're going to have to give an account. Man, I don't know how this thing plays itself out eschatologically or in what form Brian and me, Chang and Alan are going to be standing before God giving an answer for Susie Kunihiro. I I don't know how that is all going to work. I'm not sure of the eschatology. But I do know we're going to have to give an account. You've been entrusted to us. And we'll give an answer one day as to how well we have kept watch over your souls. It's a tremendous responsibility. James says that not many of you should become teachers knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. This motivates us to do the best that we can to watch over your souls, knowing that one day we're going to have to give an answer. And I just want to say this. Just looking at you right now. In most cases, wow, this is a joy. Just put your head on a swivel right now, Brian. Turn around, look at the people. This is a joy. You make it a delight for us to be your pastors. That is true for the most part. In some cases, however, your lack of obedience and your lack of submission gives us cause for groaning. Usually it's your sin and your lack of submission. But again, look at this verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, as I prepared this message, I didn't go through the church directory with a red highlight marker and a green highlight marker and say, joy, joy, groaning, groaning. In fact, I've tried very hard in preparing this message not to use any of you's illustrations in my mind. Thankfully, our church is in a sweet season right now, and the elders are very thankful. At this time, you 
are not causing us for the most part to groan, but there are some of you who do cause us to groan. Please know that for those of you that are giving us joy, we can say along with the Apostle John in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The joy that we as elders are experiencing is because of your commitment to the church and your commitment to one another. It's tremendous, praise God. But there's a category of people today that I want to address, and ironically, some of these people, in fact, I would say most of the people that I am about to address right now aren't here today. I'll fill out a little we missed you thing. You ever get an email from me that says we missed you? Attached is the sermon. The, 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 the reason you get that is because I don't remember seeing you, and sometimes I get it wrong, um, but I do the best I can sometimes just to send that out to let you know that your, your, your attendance here is important and then to send you the sermon. But here's the thing. A lot of the people that I'm about to address, A, they're not here this week. Uh, they weren't here last week. They probably won't be here next week. And when I send them an email, they're probably not going to listen to the sermon. It's people who are sort of on the fringes. But maybe there's some people here now who are in this category, and here's who you are. You don't give us joy, and you don't give us groaning. In fact, you don't give us anything, because you are so distant and on the fringes of the church. We really don't know where you stand, because you have very conveniently distanced yourself from us. Distant in worship attendance, sometimes here, sometimes not, but not regularly. When you do come, you only come on Sunday morning. Um, you don't look for opportunities for fellowship or service or evangelism or studying or praying or leading. Usually arrive late, leave very quickly. Now, technically, you are a member, and, and, and we, we can't excommunicate you. I mean, you, you're doing just the bare minimum to stay in, but you're not all in. You're just sort of on the fringes of the church. And there is a very obvious contentment to stay at that distance. Here's what I would have to say to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, based upon the word of God as your pastor, I am saying to those of you who are on the fringes to repent of your apathy and to repent of your attraction to the world, which makes the church a very low priority, and to rearrange your schedule and to prioritize the church of the living God. I would like to ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to be all in. The text says, obey your leaders based upon the word of God. I am asking you to recommit yourself to be all in. Or some of you used to be all in, but you have drifted and you know you have drifted. I know you have drifted. God knows you have drifted. You know you have drifted. Will you obey that request? Will you submit to that request even though it means sacrifice on your part? You see, those of you who are on the edges, the fringes, the periphery of this church, remember Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Oh, that God would give you repentance that you might not stay on the fringes. To those of you who make our ministries a joy, thank you. 
To those of you who make us groan, the author of Hebrews tells you why you should stop. Notice what it says at the end of the verse. For that would be of no advantage to you. Remember I said at the beginning that this verse could potentially be self-serving for me because I am telling you that you have to obey me. Well, the verse can also be self-serving for you because the verse is telling you that it would be of no advantage to you if you were to disobey me. So, be that as it may, you are called to obey and submit. Why would it be unprofitable for you not to do so? Because God resists the proud. Proud people disobey and proud people rebel. And you cannot know the joy of God in your heart if you're fighting against his church. And you won't know God's blessing from your pastors if your pastors are not joyful. And groaning pastors are not joyful. I am really happy that 2002 is 20 years in the past. And for you warriors, you soldiers who weathered 2002 at North Shore Baptist Church, please know that in that season of our church, there was great infighting and there was so much division. Business meetings were very well attended and they were very contentious. The church was filled with gossip and backbiting. Your pastors at the time, Ed Moore, Peter Nicotra, Steve Schultz, were not much good to the church. In other words, it really doesn't help your soul to have pastors who are pins and needles. Here's what I would do. I would stand in the pulpit and I would preach and I would look into the faces of the people and I would say, okay, I'm pretty sure that she's with me. I know for a fact he's against me, but that person sitting over there, not really sure where they stand. They smile to your face, but mm, backstabbers. They, they might be out to get me. Uh, I, and, and it was like, I don't know if those sermons were of any help to anyone at all. I, I'm pretty sure during ministry in those days that there was not much advantage to the church. It's kind of like a, a child who disobeys in the family who says, I have a horrible home life. Yeah, you have a horrible home life because you'll make life miserable for your parents. Well, at that time, church members were making life miserable for the pastors, and there may not have been that much joy in the church. So I hope you caught all of this. Elders don't have absolute power over every aspect of your life. But insofar as we have the backing of the word of God, you are to respect us, you are to obey us, you are to submit to us. Our job is to watch over your souls because one day we're going to have to give an account. We are plural, we are men, and we love you. And as we strive to do our job, your job is to do the best that you can to make our job joyful. Because if you don't, and you make us groan by your disobedience and by your rebellion, you are just hurting yourself. That's basically what the verse means. So let me give you six really quick points of application. Number one, join a local church. doesn't have to be this one, although I would love it if it was this one. If you are interested in joining this one, Mike Chang's telephone number is on the screen behind me. Give him a call and ask him what is the process for becoming a member or speak to me after the service. Don't have to join this church, but you should join a church. Number two, be all in at church. Be totally committed. Make church the center of your life. 
uh, in a formal sense, come on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning. Do not make Sunday morning worship an ad hoc game time decision. If you are healthy and in town, you should be at the worship service. In an informal sense, you should be striving to develop relationships within the church where you can edify and encourage one another with the gospel. You say, well, I never heard that before. You did hear that before. It is in our church covenant. So, if you're going to obey the sermon this morning, you are going to be all in at church. Number three, develop a discerning ear. And make sure that when you listen to the teaching and the preaching that it is coming from Scripture and that the gospel is being emphasized. And if you are not hearing sound biblical teaching, do not stay. Leave. Go somewhere else or fight really hard to replace the pastor. Insist that your leaders give you chapter and verse. Insist that your leaders give you sound doctrine from the Word of God and the gospel. Here and everywhere else you go for the rest of your life. Number four. If something is just your preference, just your preference, set it aside and submit to the elders. If it is a matter of conscience, then you got to stick to your guns, stand your ground, and don't give in. But if it is just your opinion, and the leaders of the church decide on a different day, or a different time, or a different method, or a different song, or a different color, or a different strategy, just give in. Do not insist upon your preferences, but with a good attitude, submit, yield the right of way to your leaders. You're not going to like everything that we decide. That's okay. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But if it is not a scriptural issue, please, for the sake of unity and for the sake of love, obey and submit in humility. Do not say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Number five, most importantly, Men, we need you. We need you. Right now, we are four. Happy to give up Mike Moultrie to go help Matthew Shores at Woodside. We're happy that Alex Duke was able to go back and serve in Louisville. We are happy that Michael Minot is now serving in the Dominican Republic. We are happy to raise men up and to send them out to serve. But we need some help. We have 13 deacons, praise God, and they're doing a better job than the deacons have ever done. We need elders. And so men, if you feel that God is calling you to do this, you should inquire prayerfully with the Lord as to whether or not he's calling you to be an elder of this church. It shouldn't be many of you. Remember, James says not many of you should be teachers, but it doesn't say it shouldn't be any of you. And if God is calling you, be all in and come to us and ask us to train you to be an elder. Now, it could be that you are perfectly willing to do this, but you're not qualified and you're not gifted to do it, in which case we will say, thank you for your inquiry, but the answer is no. But if you do desire to do it and there is a chance that God is calling you to do it, please remember 1 Timothy 3.1. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Men, is God calling you to shepherd his church? Pray about it, and if he is, then step forward. I can remember in October of 1977, I was sitting in a Sunday evening church, and in between songs, Reverend Ellenberger stood at the pulpit and made a comment, a side comment, and said, this reminds me of the book of Isaiah, where 
The Lord says, whom shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. And it was as if a laser came out of that pastor's mouth and hit my heart. And God says to me, that's you. You're called to this. And that is when I knew at age 16 that I wanted to be a pastor. If God is calling you to do it, please do not resist it. Step forward. We need the help. And finally, consider number six, consider what the local church means to Jesus and respond accordingly. This means a lot to Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Bible says in Ephesians 5.25 that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. The gospel is of first importance to Jesus, so much so that he shed his blood for the church. It's important to Jesus. You read the book of Acts, the apostles spent their energy advancing the kingdom through local churches. And it is important in that if you work to destroy this church, God will destroy you. 1 Corinthians 13.17 if anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you, you plural, are that temple. See, this is a big deal to Jesus, and that's why it should be important to you. It's important that you be a source of joy. It is important that you not be a source of groaning. Knowing that Christ deems this to be important ought to make it really important to you. Therefore, the church should be your priority. I close today by giving you a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who preached this message from 2 Corinthians back on April 5th, 1891, less than a year before he died. And here is what Spurgeon said, as only Spurgeon can say it. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad you have not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that is perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, oh, you got to hear this, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family, end quote, and well said. Father in heaven, why have you allowed us to be a part of of your church. Lord, why was I a guest? That is a mystery. That is amazing grace. Now, Lord, as we consider the church and our part in the church, may we look at it as Christ looks at it. Lord, may we be all in for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.